So we've been going through the book of Romans. We covered Romans 14 uh, two weeks ago or three weeks ago. And we looked at this idea of, of liberty um, and uh, how we don't um, violate the, the conscience of another human being. And it was a, a whole picture on eating food sacrificed to idols. We went through that whole picture. Some people drink alcohol, some people don't. And the idea is if somebody struggles with that, just don't do it in their presence and, and serve the weaker brother. The idea is don't stumble anybody. The body of Christ and the heart of Christ is to minister to one another. Some of you have liberties to do that. Others don't. If somebody struggles with alcohol, don't drink in front of them. If somebody struggles with food sacrificed to idols, even though you can get it for cheaper price at the idol meat market, um, don't, don't eat it and don't serve it to them if they come over for dinner. Uh, it, the idea is to serve one another. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, be a servant of all. And that's the picture. And it's your conscience before the Lord. You rise and fall before one master. You, the Bible says all things are permissible, not all things are profitable. Uh, there's, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not licensed to go and, and violate God's commandments. But the idea is when we, when we look at these things where it's gray area, we have this ability to minister to one another. You can enjoy and indulge in those areas, but not at the expense of another brother or sister. And so just be mindful of that. And, um, and so that's what we covered. And then Paul goes in to the remaining portion of chapter 14. He basically sums it up by just saying, serve one another, yield in that regard, and, and consider them better than yourself in the regards to serving them. And then we get into Romans chapter 15, and Paul speaks to the church in Rome, which he's never visited. A lot of the folks there, there's 26 that he lists in chapter 16 that he gives greetings to, and a majority of them he's never met, and seven of them he calls beloved. We'll cover a few of those in a study coming up. But I want to take a look at Romans 15 because in this, uh, he asked them to do something that's so profound and so special. And it ministered to me, and I hope it ministers to you. And it's actually going to be somewhat of a self-serving message this morning because I'll have a request, personal request from you all at the end of the message. Um, So let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, Romans 15. We stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We sit for the word of the teacher. As I always say, one we honor, the other we tolerate. Romans 15, we're going to pick up at verse 22. Verse 22. Apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome. And he says, For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. But now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. Now we know from Clement that Paul made it to Spain, but we don't find it in the scriptures themselves. Just uh, other biblical writings, we find that he may have made it to Spain. But we do know he made it to Rome. He did get a chance to see the church there in Rome. He says, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while, but now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. And we covered this in our study on Wednesday nights in the book of Acts. He went to Jerusalem. He got the tar beat out of him. He then was put in uh, um, Caesarea down by the coast. And he lived there for a number of years under house arrest. He enjoyed the luxuries of the, you know, Uh, Sandals Beach Resort. And then they shipped him off to Rome so that he could testify in front of the Roman consul. And um, and he he had a chance to do that. So he did get to Rome. But he hasn't gone to Jerusalem yet. He's awaiting an awful venture there. He knows he's going to die if he gets there. Everyone there hates him in Jerusalem. Excuse me, in Jerusalem. But now I'm going to Jerusalem, verse 25, to minister to the saints. For it pleased those in Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. They were going through a famine, 
the church in Macedonia and Achaia said, hey, let's send some money because the Jews led us Gentiles to Christ. Let's see if we can help them in their time of need. So they give Paul an offering of, of finances to go to Jerusalem to help the church there. And Paul's taking that while he's going to Jerusalem. He says, uh, verse 27, it pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if Gentiles had been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Verse 28, therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed them, uh, sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. So I'm, I want to go to Spain, but I'm going to stop in Rome. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. And it's interesting how he got to Rome. He ended up getting shipwrecked on Malta and all kinds of funky stuff happened. It's a hilarious story. Anyways, verse 30. And this is where we're going to focus this morning. Paul says, now I beg you. And and the Greek translation is, please, I beg you. Some of you have, I I, I beseech you. It's translated best in the Greek, please, I beg you. Listen to that again, please. I beg you, okay? Please, I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. That I may be delivered from those in Judea. And he lists a number of things. He says that I might be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. That I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And then in 16, he's going to go through a list of greetings to all those in Rome, and he's going to bless them. We're going to learn some stories about some neat folks, and uh, their names are in the Bible, so we should know why they're there. But right now, let's study this and ask God's blessing. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word, and we thank you for the picture of prayer that Paul just says, please, I beg you, would you pray for me? And Lord, if it was important to the the apostle Paul, it's got to be important to us. And so, Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth. Help us with this text. And I pray, Lord, your blessing upon the congregation this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, thank you. I wanted to introduce you. Carrie Nelson is running for the California State Assembly, but we'll do it next week. She's not here, so. And also, uh, if you want to register to vote in the primary for either party, um, you have to do that by, the t- in the, I think, 23rd of May. And so we have registration out there. My daughter, Natasha, will help you with that. If you're independent, you can't vote in the primary for either party. I'm just saying. Just thought I'd throw that out. Okay? All right. And you better participate. All right? You know what independent means? Neutral. You know what neutral means? Nah, I don't care. They're both bad. Pick a side. Engage. To not engage is to not participate. So, all right, let's take a look at the passage because that one didn't seem to work real well with everybody here. <laughs> so the Apostle Paul is heading to Jerusalem. He's going he's gonna to have a, a really difficult time in his travels down to Jerusalem. And he's going to go through uh, just all kinds of stress and beatings and the like. And then they're going to send him to Rome because he's going to appeal to Caesar. They'll send him to Rome. He's going to get to Rome. He's going to go through awful storms in the winter. Nobody traverses the Mediterranean in the winter. He does. The ship is torn apart. Everyone gets to shore safely. He's bitten by a poisonous viper. He lives. Uh, everyone freaks out. He has a chance to minister to the folks in Malta. He, he uh, wins the heart of the, the 
political structure there on the island of Malta. Uh, this guy is fearless. He ends up getting to Rome while he's there. Uh, the Jews don't send anyone to press their case, so Paul is, is let go. He's released. Uh, and then, by speculation only through Clement, we find out that he got to Spain, but ultimately he came back to Rome where he had a martyr's death and was uh, de- decapitated. And, uh, and so this is coming to the close of his life. And as he's writing this, this letter to the church at Rome, he's actually in Corinth at the tail end of his third missionary journey. And then the final journey would be to Rome, and then his life would be over. And so he's getting ready to go to Jerusalem. He's getting ready for this beating that he's about to face. And he's talking about, you know, wanting to go and that when he gets there, that it'll, it'll be the will of God and, and, and to come to him in Rome. And God's will, yeah, I want you to go to Rome, Paul, but you are not going to believe the way I'm getting you there. And it is, it's going to be a roller coaster ride. And Paul has a lot of concern and his heart is heavy. And, and this, the last few weeks have been awful for the fellowship and, and a lot of heartache. Um, we, we, we lost some just, just sweet, sweet members of the congregation and family members of our congregation. And families have been devastated and heartache is heavy. Uh, yesterday, uh, an, another member of our congregation, Mike Pegler, passed away. And um, it just, it's just been a rough, rough couple of weeks, few weeks. Before I, I went to Israel, a young man passed away and, uh, in an awful accident. And, and family members have just been struggling. And my heart's been heavy. And going over to uh, Israel... What a trip. Um, I, I know what Paul's experiencing here to some extent. I can't pretend to, to be like the Apostle Paul in any way, shape, or form, but I can relate to concerns and I can relate to, to stresses engaged in, in travel. You know, Paul is saying here that, that I want to come and see you, but I've got to get to Jerusalem first. And to go to Jerusalem, which is where I just got back from, to go to Jerusalem, Paul's taking this gift, and he asks a couple of things of the congregation. He says, I beg that you pray for me. And when you pray for me, I need you to focus on these things. And the first one he says is uh, that, that, that I would be delivered from the people that want to bend my ear that have no intention of ever converting to Christ. And, and one of my prayers is, Lord, deliver me from the time wasters. You know, people want to come to you and they want help with their problems, but you really want to deal with the main problem in their life, and that's their relationship with the Lord. They want you to deal with the symptom, not the problem. Can't you give me an ointment to make the rash go away? Well, the rash is created because of the medication you're taking, which is for another thing, and you've got to get rid of the issue, and then you also eat too much, and you have, you know, and, then, then, and I don't want to deal with any of that. Don't you have just a magical something to make it go away? You know, for a lot of us, like myself, a little bit overweight, and maybe some of you are going a lot overweight, but I, that's not your business. And... <laughs> You know, you're thinking, is there any way I can get rid of this quickly? Yeah, eat less and exercise more. Well, any other way other than that. I mean, liposuction, you know, can I... And, and, and you, you want the easy route. You want to deal with the symptoms, but not the problem. The problem is you, you, you worship food, Rob. That's your problem. Okay, all right. Yeah, I got that. And, and, and these are struggles we have. And, and the Apostle Paul is saying, I, I want to be delivered from people who don't want to be delivered. And listen... We're going to go through the list in chapter 16 of a number of people, and one of them in particular is he says, greet the members of Aristobulus' household. It doesn't say greet Aristobulus. It's like his whole household worshiping the Lord, but he's not. Paul doesn't have anything nice to say about him. This is a man who's surrounded by Christianity, surrounded by God's people, surrounded by revival, and has no heart for the things of God. Let that not be said of anyone in the room. And Paul's saying, deliver me from the people who don't want to be delivered. If you're here because you want to make business connections or you're here because you want to promote your multi-level marketing thing or you're here because whatever it is, you want a handout from the church, just go somewhere else. If you're here because you want to have a relationship with the Lord, you're right where you belong. You're right where you belong. 
And there'll be people, plenty of people, that would love to help you and lead you and guide you and disciple you and bless you. And Paul says, would you pray that I'd be delivered from those people that don't want to be delivered? He says, and that my service may be acceptable to the saints. I mean, sometimes you come to want to help folks and they don't want to be helped. And, you know, I, I, I know that this is what we need to do and I want a change and I want these things, but I don't want to do what you're proposing I do. And I don't really want to engage. I, I want the problem to be fixed, but I don't really want to engage in that. And so I don't accept what you're offering me. And Paul says, would you pray that they would accept what I'm presenting to them? Because they need it. This is for their well-being. This is for their help. And then he says that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed. And I love that idea, refreshed. It's this idea that you go for a long jog and you stink and you walk into the house and your wife looks at you. That wouldn't be my wife because I'm not jogging. But... <laughs> And they would say to you, uh, you need to go and get refreshed because you stink. And the idea is, is a refreshment, this idea of, of having uh, uh, this, this burden lifted from you. And Paul's saying, would you pray that I'd be refreshed uh, together with you? And now may the God of peace be with you all. But he begins these, these requests by simply stating, please, I beg you. I think about that as I drive out of Target and I see the guy at the in the middle, in the uh, median. And he's got a sign. And you reach in your pocket and you find a dollar. He's begging. And you're compelled to give him something. You come out of the Starbucks and there's somebody there and you're compelled to give them something. They're begging. And Paul is begging. He says, please, I beg you that through Jesus Christ, through the love of the Spirit, that you would strive together with me in prayers to God for me. And, and I, I want to give you a picture of that it's, it's, if you want me to. I've been asking you. I've been asking you for years. Please, I beg you, would you pray for me? And I'll give you a list, just like Paul did at the end of the message, of how you can pray for me. There, there's no way that I survive this without prayers. I'm going to stop here for a minute and fill you in on Israel. We went over with seven lieutenant governors over to to Israel, just like Paul went to Jerusalem. I got to go there too. Seven lieutenant governors. We had Texas, Iowa, uh, Nevada, Wisconsin, Florida, uh, North Carolina, Kansas. Is that seven? Thank you. If I missed one, I'll figure it out. And and we got over there, and and three of the seven lieutenant governors had security details. Texas, uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick had three security officers, all packing. Wisconsin had one, Iowa had one. So we had five armed security guards. Very comforting, by the way. But you also have an enormous target on your back. And the bus said, Republican Lieutenant Governor's Association. It's like, (laughs) shoot me. (laughs) And and, uh, I wasn't going to share this because I know a number of folks are going to Israel and it might frighten them. But there was a... uh, uh, an elderly widow, older, not elderly, older widow in our church uh, who's going on the trip. Her husband died a, a couple of years ago. And you want to talk about a woman prone that, that could be easily prone to fear. This is her. And on Wednesday night when I shared this, she was the only one going on the trip to Israel. And she says, I'm not afraid. I'm going. And I thought if I could share that on Wednesday to a woman who of all the people going would have the most reason to be afraid uh, and she's good with it, so am I. And so I'm going to share with you the details of it. Now, the good news is we're not going as Republican lieutenant governors and we don't have a big bullseye on us. And there hasn't been a tourist killed in Israel in who knows how long. 
Uh, they, they, and even, even the opposition doesn't seek to do that. The Muslim terrorists don't seek to do that. They want pictures in the media of a 13-year-old attacking an IDF soldier with a knife and then the IDF soldier killing him and then they broadcast it all over the world. And, and that's what they're looking for. Now, of course, there was an explosion, which always happens in Passover, and this is the Holy Week, and they, they, there was an explosion on a bus and 23 were injured. But for the remainder of the year, this is not the case unless there's an intifada, and, and if that's the case, we won't go. But we met the man who created the Iron Dome, and it was a fascinating presentation. We went to the Gaza Strip, and, and the Gaza Strip is where all the terrorist uh, weaponry comes in because it's a coastal location. And there we were in an in a Israeli village right on the border of the Gaza Strip, and all the children are playing in the playground, and, and the, we're getting an interview and sitting down with one of the heads of this, this community. And uh, we, they said, if you hear the sirens, you have 15 seconds to get into one of the bunkers. And they pointed where the bunkers were, and they said, because uh, they hit us with rockets, and, and, you know, and the Iron Dome doesn't react quickly enough in some regards. It's more to protect Tel Aviv and the rest of Israel. And all the children playing, when they hear the siren, they have 15 seconds, they know where every bunker is, and the whole place is inundated with bunkers. They're going through life, and these children grow up with this so that when they go to Tel Aviv or Jerusalem, they go, Mommy, Daddy, where are the bunkers? If they travel anywhere else in the world, they go, where are the bunkers? That's their life. And, and we go to see the border, and we see the big wall, and we see the turrets, and we're looking out there, and you can see the Palestinians, and you can see the armed personnel. And I turned to the lady who's giving us a tour, and the bus is there, and I said, couldn't they snipe us from here? And she says, yes, that's why we need to get back in the bus. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, it's like, and you, know, you just have all these lieutenant governors looking out there going, this is great, you know, and you just see this, you know, laser dot in there. What's that? No laser dots. I added that. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that was interesting. And, and we went into the uh, West Bank, uh, went to Shiloh, which is where the first temple was established. Less than 5,000 tourists go there a year. It's a fascinating location. I'm going to try to get us there. And I think I can. We were taken by a man by the name of Simon Fallock, who is, uh, he owns 14,000 um, duty-free shops around the world. He's a billionaire. And he wanted to take the lieutenant governors to see Judea. And this is where Samuel and, and Eli, and this is where Elkanah and Hannah, and I mean, this, they have unearthed the original temple. It is fascinating, stunning. This is the heart of Israel right here. And they're fighting. They're, they're frontiers people. They're fighting for that location. And to, to get us to go, the State Department of Israel required that it be a bulletproof uh, bus. So we get on the bus, and I mean, the window's like... I mean, it's bulletproof. And we've got our five armed personnel. And when we got on there, there's Simon Fallock. He's on the bus with us. I'm like, wow. And uh, he smelled like money. It just was kind of interesting. I didn't know what that smelled like. No, I'm kidding. And, and, uh, and he's got six, seven personnel. And they're not just, you know, packing a thing in the back here. They've got serious weaponry. And I, I, I'm surrounded by this stuff. And it's kind of cool. And, you know, never an issue whatsoever. And we get there with powerful tour, unbelievably impressive. We, we overlooked Ramallah. We, we saw the, the media expose where they've got this small area where the refugees are. And it's all the photo ops. And surrounding Ramallah in this little refugee center where there's less than 100 families are these massive Palestinian mansions that are paid for by the West because we buy into this idea. And, and you're watching all this and you're taking it all in. And you're seeing the struggle and the, and, and the difficulties with, with their nation as they're fighting for their, uh, their sovereignty. And um, we, we were invited to go to the um, Minister of Foreign Affairs in the same building where the Prime Minister is located. And we had to go, the governors went first and we were going to take the bus and, and they went in an armed vehicle. We went in our unbulletproof vehicle. <laughs> 
And, uh, but, but as we were walking out of the King David Hotel to get on the bus, they said, no, you can't come out. You need to stay inside. And I stayed outside. And they, the women went in. And I was kind of out there going, what's going on? I'm talking to Tim Maddox, who's our missionary in Cyprus. And he goes, I, I go, we're waiting for the bus. And, and we're delayed. They've got the streets cordons off. And I said, why? And I, oh, they got police out here. There's some sort of suspicious package with wires and the like. And uh, he goes, oh, and we're talking. And all of a sudden, massive boom. And the phone goes, Bruh. and Tim's like, what happened? I go, it was an explosion. It's crazy. You know, and, and what it was, is, and this is what they do in Israel. This is life in Israel. They just went over, put a big metal thing over it, exploded it, and then cleared the streets. And said, okay, everybody, good to go. Let's go. And um, in the United States, it'd take like a day and a half. And they'd have FBI come out. And they'd investigate all this. Oh, no, it's just another day in Israel. Let's go. Nobody's hurt. Nothing happened. It was all great. And we just moved on. It ended up just being a non-issue package that somebody left. But they don't take any chances. No chances. And, uh, and we get there a little bit late. And we have to go through the security clearance. As we go through the security clearance, we, we go down in this elevator into the bunker, into the situation room, sealed doors, get in there. There's the minister of foreign affairs and all these big people. And we're all hot. And the governors. And oh, it's heavy. And while we're in the middle of a presentation, uh, an aide comes in and whispers and says, number one wants to see the lieutenant governors. Well, that's Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, the, the prime minister would like to see lieutenant governors. Oh, we all get up to go. And they go, no, just lieutenant governors. I'm like, Darn zipper you know they're in the book of who's who i'm in the book of who's he sit down <laughs> so off they go and michelle and i had a chance to wave to i think it was him as his caravan was leaving you know that was so deep i just i was moved by that uh, but he engaged the lieutenant governors and it was just a powerful trip and and uh it was heavy and on the trip were a number of lobbyists, and, and, and these lobbyists are hardcore. They play both sides of the aisle, Democrats, Republicans, they're partiers. They were out late at night. Uh, they look like, you know, death warmed over in the morning and getting on the bus. And, and we didn't pay for the trip. One of our, the person who invited me was a portional sponsor of the trip itself. So we were given an opportunity for me to be the teaching pastor at the Christian sites. But there was tension during the entire thing where they wanted to remove Christian sites to do more things that were secular. And, and we're back there praying, and we didn't want to, you know, interfere, but we're just praying and asking the Lord to move and to minister. And we're getting opportunities to sit with each of these lobbyists and getting a chance to meet with the lieutenant governors and on the bus together. And as we were praying, and you were all praying, God opened up amazing doors for this opportunity. We got to minister to every single lobbyist. We got a chance to minister to every lieutenant governor and to strengthen them. Uh, at the city of David, after I finished my story on Ahithophel, the lieutenant governor of, of, of Florida comes over and gives me a hug, and he just says, I really needed that. Now he's Jewish, and he just hugged me. He said, that just ministered so much to me, and he was choked up. And we get to, uh, we get to the Jordan River and the baptismal site, and, and actually we had gone into the wilderness to the Jordanian border where the original baptismal site, nobody goes there because it's so downstream that it's just all silty, and you get, you, if you get baptized there, you come up as a clay pot. Uh, but there on the other side of the Jordan, and the Jordan's no wider than the Conejo Creek, and especially at that location, and on the other side is a Jordanian soldier, all weaponed and everything. And while we were there, all these Palestinians came, and these girls with their children and older women, and they wanted to take pictures with us. Nobody could speak English. I'm doing all my coin tricks. I'm holding their babies. They're all laughing. A little bit of international relations, you know. But um, we get to the Jordan site, and I'm thinking, nobody wants to get baptized. This is a, this is a tough crew. And, uh, and you, you know, lieutenant governors don't want the exposure. We baptized three lieutenant governors. I got to ba- personally baptize three lieutenant governors. 
one of them was a, um, a reaffirmation of their faith, and the other two were first-time baptisms of faith. And, uh, and one woman came up out of the water. Uh, she was beaming, sobbing with joy. Uh, that was Kim Reynolds from Iowa. And uh, Rebecca Cleefish from Wisconsin. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick was a rededication. And it was, it was profound. And these are folks that are going to rise to higher office. We had a chance to minister to them, sitting on the bus, talking to them about the deep things of Christ. And, I, and I, I share all that with you because that trip was unbelievably difficult. I was away from my family. I missed, I missed a council meeting. I missed two church services. Um, uh, a, a member of our congregation, their, their son died it, it, just before leaving. And the heaviness of, of all of this, and, and my friend Mike Pegler, and all this stuff going on, and, and the dangers that were wa- awaiting us, and the tension, and, and the dynamic of, of where, what Christian sites are we going to go to? Are we not going to go to Christian sites? Am I allowed to share this? Am I not allowed to share this? The dynamic. There's no way in my, my puny little mind that I would be able to fathom or navigate this minefield. And yet back here in Thousand Oaks, California, Calvary Chapel Godspeak, men and women, fervently praying for me and Michelle and the trip. You, you have no idea how, how grateful I am for that. I come back and I go to visit Mike and he's, He's, his body is frail, and, and he was given three months, and it had been a few weeks. And then he, he goes to his boat and, and uh, feels pain, comes to the hospital over in Ventura, and he, he died. And, and so heavy with what the family's going through and the heaviness of all that, and wisdom to navigate that. First of all, I hate hospitals. I hate death. I hate it. Every time I go in, I just envision, envision visiting my mother. I hate hospitals. And then the tension of all and everything involved in that. How how am I supposed to figure that out? Save but for, as the scripture says, the fervent faithful prayers. And James says, the fervent faithful prayers of a righteous man availeth much. You have no idea the comfort when people say, I'm praying for you. And to see what God did yesterday and continues to do and how lives are being touched and ministered to praying for Zach and praying for the gentleman that spoke the first Sunday and praying for Wednesdays and encouraging and watching that the giving didn't go down as it usually does when I'm gone and I'm just rejoicing at the faithfulness of the fellowship. And when Paul says, I beg you, please, I beg you, I know what that means because I know how much I need it. And when Paul says, Please, I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me. The word strive together is only used here. It's an interesting term. It it, it means working together as as a body functions. When I see what cancer did to Mike, cancer is a cell that takes over and destroys everything that's operating in unity. And it's self-consumed and destructive to the host. And, and I, I think of this idea of striving together. If you've ever watched the, the Winter Olympics, you see the bobsled competition. These four guys running with this massive sled, and they're just running. And the poor guy in the back. And they're just getting speed, and they just jump into it like it's nothing. And there's no room in that. And the last guy, and you're wondering if he's going to make it or fall down and slide on his belly all the way. But right at the last minute, he's... And this thing goes down, and, and the unity and striving together and running... 
It, it's a nanosecond. It, it's the, it depends on a gold or a silver, all on that striving together in unity. And we're a body, and the head is Christ, and everyone has a part. And, and I'm afforded this privilege to go and do these things. Last night, I was in San Clemente with my wife, Michelle, celebrating the 60th birthday of, of, uh, of, of a friend. And there I am with a, a potential congressional a congressman, um, sitting there talking about deep things of the Lord, contending for the state of California as we've got a $6.5 million budget, of which $3.25 million is already covered, and we're trying to raise another $3.25 million to do a number of American renewal projects up and down the state. We've got one already set for Riverside. And we're, we're engaging the body of Christ to participate in the process. We have one of the, the, the most important elections in the history of our nation coming up. And the body of Christ at, at 85 million across the United States, 25% vote in a presidential election, 12.5% in a non-presidential election, moving them to awaken and to do something. And, and I, 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 I'm, I'm afforded the opportunity to sit there because the congregation does that. And I, we drove back, got home about 1.30 last night, and, and here I am. And, and when I walked into the hospital room to, to, to be with Mike's family, Marty Richter was already there and so was Don Wildrum and they'd already gone before me. Marty goes down and gets Advil for the folks that had headaches and ministers to the family and ministers to me and Don's ministering. And, and these are folks that they have no dog, uh, no dog in the fight. They're there to represent Christ. I watch his quads pop up in this congregation of all by volunteers. I see a new defibrillator pack in the, in the back. I don't even know who installed it or where it came from. I'm thinking, you know, if, if the message doesn't move you and you don't give your heart to the Lord, I'll just run at you with the paddles. And <laughs> Receive Jesus. <laughs> Praise God. Let's do it again. <laughs> week in and week out, folks laboring, watching people do visitations, bringing food, ministering to the struggling, and, and a number of families I haven't even had a chance to reach out to in the busyness, and yet finding that folks are already doing it. It's as Mike passed away and the funeral occurred last week and, and it was all put together in my absence. That's striving together. That's, that's a family. We don't divide and we strive together not just in our efforts but in our prayers. And in the body of Christ, it's so important for prayers that we strive together in this relation. And he says in prayers to God for me. I read that. I was stunned. Paul, can I do that? Yes. Lord, yes. Why wouldn't you? I like what one author writes. He says, pastors are sustained by the power of the Spirit through the support of their congregation. There's a 70% attrition rate of pastors in the country. They're fair game. We must not leave our ministers and leaders to struggle alone. I read these things and I think, oh, Lord, I am so blessed to have this family. I, I don't share this message because there's a lack. I just share it because there are some I want you to enjoy what it means to participate in such a blessing. John Kerry, the, the missionary to India, said to Fuller, I will go down to the pit in India to minister in the darkness, but Brother Fuller and the rest of you must hold the rope by prayer. And Paul's saying, I'll go to Jerusalem, but you pray for me. You hold that rope. The word strive together in the Greek is 
sunagonazomai. And I don't know if I pronounced that right, but it just means agonizing together, laboring together. It's the same word that Jesus used in the Garden of Gethsemane when he labored and he agonized. And Paul doesn't just say it once. In the Greek, it's, it's listed twice. He's repeating it of its great importance. In proportion as a man grows in grace, he feels his dependence upon God. And in a certain sense, his dependence upon God's people. I thought it fascinating that Paul is asking a group of people he's never met to pray for him. And I'm asking a group of people that I know and I love to pray for me. And the more I grow in God's grace, the more I realize how dependent I am upon God's people. It's not my job, it's ours. And ultimately it's the Lord's. And we, we, we know what he calls us to do by laboring together and agonizing in prayer. As I considered and contemplated all these areas of, of agonizing and this idea of what God's called us to, the Lord brought a couple of things to mind. And in the next few minutes, I just want to cover them briefly. Because when Paul says, please, I beg you, pray for me. I thought, Lord, how can I apply this for our congregation? And I'm, I'm, I'm up against one of the, the toughest positions in my life that I can recall in a long time. And, and it's the only one who can deliver me from it is the Lord. And it's, it's nothing a disqualification or anything along those lines. It's just a burden. And, and I, I won't list it, but you can pray for me that God would, would meet that need in the riches of Christ. And he will. And, and the only need is to be made known to the Lord. He knows that. And, and as we look at the, the desire to reach all of California with the American Renewal Projects, when, when I, God has given me a picture for the city and what he wants to do, we have a new ministry we created called Shema Inner City Ministries where we want to start to develop schools and create these football programs to create character and start to help the booster clubs. And we want to invest in all these other areas of the community. We've got the ministry, but I'm just saying, Lord, I'm, I'm not going to plead. If, if folks want to participate, let them. And, and it's, it's God's call. And he's given me a vision and, and my heart is filled with it. And there's times where I, I would like it to go away, quite honestly. I, my, I've told you my dream job in life is to collect shopping carts at Target. <laughs> it's so simple. You just stack them, roll them in, and then everyone just takes them out and leaves them everywhere. You go, oh, praise the Lord, let's go put those back together again. And you bring them back in, and they don't, they, they don't fight with each other, they don't argue, they don't divorce each other, they, their children aren't wayward. They just stack them, they go back. They just go back. And sometimes you get electric, it's really cool. It doesn't pay very well. But, but the heaviness of it, and, and I tell you, I don't get tired of the work. There's been times, it's the exception, not the rule, and, and certainly the, the minute exception, never the rule, where I've been tired of the work. And that's just because of my lack of devotion to the Lord. But the struggle comes not in being tired of the work, but, but, but getting tired in the work. And you get tired. You just get to a place where, you know, it's, it's a storm. It's a storm. And it just, just doesn't stop falling. You walk through the doors and another phone call and this, and you, you got to, yeah, oh my gosh. Yes, Lord, what? Wow. And then somebody out of nowhere calls, I'm praying for you, you're on my heart. Whoa. I'm just refreshed in that moment and I'm blessed in that moment. And another one hit and it was, it was a heavy one for me. We have uh, been doing these renewal projects and they did a national article on the renewal projects and David Lane was listed and it, 
And, and uh, it went out and it said, uh, David Lane, the founder of the American Renewal Project, argues that Jesus Christ is not on the ballot in 2016. And I, I contend with this because I get it from all of Christendom. It, it's amazing that the general populace doesn't struggle with what I do. It's the church. Not our church, but the church. And pastors. Debunking a recent article published by the Christian Post, leading Southern Baptist ethicist Russell Moore says Christians should vote for third-party or write-in candidates rather than settle for the lesser of two evils. So it's trying to divide and and making Christians irrelevant, and we're going to do a third party. It's never worked in the history of the United States. And it's just, there's no no wisdom in anything he says. I'm, I'm in both arenas, and I know. It's just dumb. Lane argues that none of the presidential candidates can claim no evil as their campaign model. And if more and other self-ascribed evangelical leaders believe that they know the perfect candidate is for 2016, they should run for office, he claims. In other words, there's no perfect presidential candidate. The lesser of two evils, it's always going to be that way because there's none righteous, no, not one. But before any recent inane statements more made about the 2016 election, Lane already had begun organizing a massive movement to encourage Christians to run for office. Lane's goal for 2016 was to focus on moving spiritual men and women to the public square. Good government happens with good people. And he talks about the American Renewal Projects launching a dozen events uh, within one year's time. We did a thing called Issachar Training. We're trying to get 1,000 pastors to run for office. This little church right here by the prayers of the saints, we are the prototype. And we're trying to wake up pastors to our call, raising up the next generation of leaders in America. And then it goes down and it says, speakers have included former governors Mike Huckabee, Bobby Jindal, Senator James Langford, California Councilman Pastor Rob McCoy, and California Assemblywoman Shannon Grove. Political operatives give a crash course on precinct-level politics, campaign structuring, learning how to deal with the media. And the keynote who highlights why Christians should be involved in every area of public life is Dr. Bruce K. Walke, author of The Proverbs and Politics, The Biblical Foundation for Righteousness, an Old Testament scholar. And as he goes through this, uh, I love what David Lane says. He says, virtue is a key component of freedom. Someone's values will always be legislated in Washington, D.C. and state houses. And Christians have every right to have their values represented as much as anyone else's. If we advance spiritual men and women into the public square, people who know wisdom, then we improve America's chances of remaining free. We trust in the Lord and we marshal the army. And um, it goes through this whole picture, and it was powerful. And no sooner had this been written and sent out nationally that a pastor that I know, who's in Houston, the city of Houston, where less than 8% of the electorate voted to have um, a lesbian mayor um, claim and demand the sermons of the pastors in Houston and wanted to suppress religious liberty, all voted in the city in which he lives. And this man is, doesn't believe that Christians should engage in, in, in these areas and, and support parties and political issues. And he is one of the greatest uh, opponents of what I do. Or what, what, let me say what we do. And he wrote this. He said, the, ac- the application of such rationalisms, or excuse me, rationalizations to abortion means that the killing will never end. Our political manipulators are geniuses at only one thing. That is figuring out each voting bloc's bottom line. As long as they know we do not trust our God enough to obey him and that we will continue to allow ourselves to settle for false promises and empty platitudes, that is all we will ever get. They will never give us anything, anything more than our bottom line. You would think that 40 years of failure would have taught us that. And what he's espousing further on is this idea that don't participate in any party. Don't try to make it better. Don't go through the process. And so really what it is is that it, he, he's, there's no wisdom there. He doesn't understand the process. And at which point a friend of mine wrote this. 
The Republican Party has steadfastly fought for the battle for life. Condemnation, and by the way, this isn't, dem- this isn't Republican or Democrat. This is one party responding to the accusations of a man towards that party. So whether you're Democrat or Republican is irrelevant, okay? The Republican Party has steadfastly fought the battle for life. We believe that children are a blessing from the Lord. Condemnation from a pastor who prides himself on having never voted Republican since Reagan in a city where a lesbian mayor was elected with the support of only 8% of the registered voters should work on the beam in his own eye. He could start by just showing up. Godly candidates know that evildoers will hound them on the stump while the useless self-righteous won't even lift a finger to push the voting lever. Sitting comfortably in the air-conditioned skybox, spitting contempt on those struggling to preserve our way of life does not endear one to those who are actually in the arena. Any donkey can knock down a barn door, but only a carpenter can build one. And it's amazing how the body of Christ justifies their, their, their inactivity by saying, I don't do politics. Well, you know how we got in this mess? Calvary Chapel started in 1966. We were apolitical, 10,000% growth since 1966. Lion's share of the churches in California. We had the fifth greatest GDP. Reagan was governor in 66. Here we are in 2016. We have the seventh, almost eighth great GDP. We have the highest debt of any state, $1.5 trillion of the next four state combined doesn't equal California's. We have the highest gas tax, sales tax, income tax, corporate tax. We, we are the authors of no-fault divorce and transgender bathroom bills. And yet all the 10,000% growth in the Calvary chapels has not been transfer growth, but conversion growth. And what's the disconnect? Well, we don't do politics. Why? God's command is that the three forms of government in the scriptures is family, church, and civil government. He ordained it. And we've abdicated our responsibility because politics is dirty. And my comment is, so is the church. And to be apathetic and not to engage is, is, is to be complicit with evil itself. And I wrote, I don't know what's worse when this man wrote his writings. I said, I don't know what's worse, the voice of my enemies or the silence of my friends, which one friend wrote and said, Rob, the answer, the silence of your friends, because you don't know if they are, in fact, friends anymore. And because they are silent, you don't know where they are. At least you know where the enemies are. And because they are noisy, you know their location. But you know neither with silent friends. I thought, how profound and how kind to encourage me in that regard. And I want to leave you today with this picture, and this is out of 1 Timothy chapter 2, and I'll conclude with this. 1 Timothy chapter 2 is Paul writing to Timothy, and here's a young man who is struggling in Ephesus, a, 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 a city that is inundated with just idolatry and misery, and, and Timothy's trying to make a difference in the Roman world, and he's a young man, and Paul says to them, uh, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, I exhort you Please, I beg you. First of all, that supplication. Supplications means letting your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Tell him what you need. Supplications, prayers. Prayer is only towards God in the New Testament, which means it's an act of worship. Did you know that? Did you know that prayer is an act of worship? And how little we do in the body of Christ. Supplications and prayers. And then he uses this word intercessions. Intercession means to align yourself with the will of God and the purpose of God. And so if, if Paul is saying to Timothy, I want supplication, prayers, and intercessions, aligning yourself with the will of God, he then adds, and giving of thanks. Giving of thanks. And he says it's to be made for all men. And when he says men, he goes on later to say that men would lift up holy hands. It's, not, it's anthropos, which doesn't mean mankind. It means men. And I want to I emphasize that. Men. Why is it in every church in America that the prayer meeting is filled with women? 
Paul is exhorting Timothy. He says, you want an example for your community? Men pray. Let your kids wake up in the morning and realize you've already been up an hour and you've been in the word and your hands have been lifted and you have been before the Lord in intercession, aligning your family with the will and the purpose of God and bathing your wife in the water of the word. Grandpas, let your grandkids see you praying. Let let them see you get up early. Let them come out and realize that. Let your wives be convicted by the, the, the hour in which you rise that they would join you. And intercede at the throne of grace on behalf of your community. And as Paul lays this out, and he says, for all men, and he says, this is the reason I want you to pray. And this is him. He says, for kings and those in authority. And I'm thinking of this man who is is rebuking me for engaging in the political process. And the apostle Paul is commanding Timothy to intercede on behalf of kings and those in authority. I sat with three members of, of, of the leadership of a large denomination in California that came to me as a council member and were introduced by, the, by a pastor that knew me and supported me in the campaign. And they had an issue that had to come before the council and they wanted to meet with me and they had the connection through this pastor. And I sat down with these three leaders of the denomination and I quoted this verse and I say, praying for kings and those in authority. And I said, please, from the cities in which you live, could you tell me who your council members are, your school board members, and your supervisors are, please? And the same silence in the room as what we had at the lunch table. And I said, you know why I'm sitting here with you? You're seeking favor. You're seeking an audience with authority. And you know how I have this authority? Because this man who is considered low in your denomination, interceded on my behalf. He prayed for me in front of his whole congregation and labored on my behalf so that you could have this audience. You best go and learn who these people are that God has commanded you to pray for. And he gave a reason, a very clear reason, why you pray for kings and those in authority, that we may lead quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Does this work? No? Hello? There we go. All right, I'm almost finished. Jeremiah 29, God gave me this. I'm gonna show you how to pray for me. God gave me this, and this is my vision. This is my burden. This is what God has called me to be refreshed for, and this is what I ask you to pray for. I I looked at the landscape, and I thought, I'm in exile in my own nation, in my own state. And I remember when I read this, it started with Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, to give you hope in the future. But in context, uh, God is sending the Israelites into 70 years of exile into Babylon. And I feel like I'm in exile in my own state, in my, in my own nation. An exile in a pagan world means that everything I hold dear, the, the ruling authority doesn't. And God says, this is what you do when you're in exile. He says, build houses and dwell in them and plant gardens and eat their fruit. Participate in the economic Uh, purchases in your community, build houses, develop communities. He says, take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters. Be fruitful and multiply. Let your position in the community, let the community know that we love kids and we believe that children are a blessing from the Lord. And we're not going to wait until we can afford them to have them because if you wait till you can afford them to have them, you'll never have them. I have five of them. I couldn't afford the the, half of them, even if it's 2.5. And that half kid would look really weird anyways. And the definition of a father is a man who carries pictures of his kids in his wallet where his money used to be. And this is what God has called us to, to be fruitful and multiply and to raise godly children in another generation. And if, you, if you're finished having kids, do you have an empty bedroom? Because we have a thousand foster kids in our community and three churches could eliminate that right now. Right now. 
My daughter was so moved by what the Bublitzes did that they went and they, they, they took the classes and they're waiting for their first child. And that's going to be my grandchild. Every one of us has the ability to do that. Every one of us. Or we can support those that do it. He says that you may not that you may be increased there and not diminished, that our influence would be in the next generation. And he says, and seek the peace of the city, Thousand Oaks, California, where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for that city, for in its peace you will have peace. I, I want to show you how you can first pray for me. Pray for the peace of this city. You know what peace is? Peace is the presence of the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. That he would, he would reign in every vestige of our community. You see, I was so overwhelmed by federal and state politics that God gave me this illustration of the, of the grandpa walking on the beach after the massive hurricane storm, millions of starfish as far as the eye could see. And they're all, the, the storm recedes and the sun comes out and they're all dying on the, on, the, on the beach. And the grandson begins to throw them back. And the grandpa looks at the mass of millions of starfish. He says, there's too many of them, grandson. You can't make a difference. He says, but grandpa, I'm making a difference for this one. And I'm making a difference for this one. At which point the grandfather goes down and begins to do it with him and the work becomes exponentially increased. Take your eyes off of the insanity of the federal and state elections. Let's fix our bean patch. Let's fix our home right here. Let's throw this starfish back. Let's take care of the foster problem. Let's take care of all of these things right here. Let's start putting in together programs of character in our schools for our football programs and supporting our principals and getting folks on the school board that understand the value of, of family time and start to do these things. That children aren't a ward of the state. They belong to the family. Let's start allowing this to be established in our community, praying for our, our leaders, for wisdom. And pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. And this is the supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks that I read earlier. That God commands us that we would live quiet and peaceable lives in godliness and reverence. I want you to remember the word quiet, quiet, and peaceable. Quiet and peaceable means tranquil, tranquility, calm, still, peaceable, uh, good-natured, friendly, strife-free, civil. I may not agree with the ideologies of everyone on the city council, but we have a civil, we have a peaceable council. There's no strife. We don't argue and attack each other's character. We're finished with that. I'm frustrated by the public comments and the way that they attack the character of my friends. And I don't agree with them. But you don't attack somebody like that. That's the influence of Christ. Pray for them. 2 Samuel 23, 11 is another picture God gave me that I want you to pray for. And it's the story of Shema. He was one of David's mighty men. He was told to protect a lentil field from the Philistines. Everyone bailed. He stood alone. Lentils are the worthless crop in Israel. You see a jar of lentils. They look like a jar of beans. And he stood there all by himself and protected a worthless bean patch. And God said, that's your thousand oaks. It may be worthless to the world, but it's not to me. And Rob, you stand. And the difference with Shema is he stood alone, but I stand with the congregation. And you stand with me in prayer and effort. And he defended it. And so the Lord brought about a great victory. Romans 13, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Who appoints all positions of authority? God. And who are we to be subject to? The governing authorities. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Who are we to be subject to? Okay. And they're appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Nero was in power when this was written. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil do what? Uh, do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, 
and you will have praise from the same, for he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who would practice evil. They're ministers. And who is this authority that God has given us? Well, let's find that out, because we are a very unique nation. We the people, stop, look at me, please. We the people. Who's the authority in America? Let's try that first sentence again and say it together. We the people of the United States. Who's the authority? We the people. In order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility. Wait a minute, domestic tranquility, we just looked at that quiet and peaceable lives? In all godliness and reverence? To establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity? Do ordain and establish a constitution of the United States of America. And then it says all legislative powers herein are granted. They're on loan. We still have the authority. We're going to grant them to the Congress of the United States, which shall consist of a Senate and a House of Representatives. They're going to represent us. The power's on loan. This is our Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, recognizing God as a creator. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. By the way, happiness, interestingly enough, and I wrote it down, I love this definition, sensation which springs forth from the enjoyment of doing good. Liberty consists in the power of acting as one thinks fit, without restraint or control, except from the laws of nature. Where do we learn those? From God's word. Religious liberty is the free right of adopting and enjoying opinions on religious subjects and of worshiping the supreme being according to the dictates of conscience without external control. To be at liberty is to be free from constraint. Home of the free, land of the brave, home of the free. Freedom from danger or hazard is safety. Inalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of who? We, the people. The authority that, who, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their what? Safety and happiness. Quiet, peaceable lives, godliness and reverence. It's by prayer. Finally, prudence indeed will dictate that government long established should not be changed for light or transient causes. And accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. We don't even have to create a revolutionary war. All we have to do is vote. That's all we have to do. All we have to do is get off our lazy butts and do something. Take that out of the text, please. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is the right. It is their duty. Duty. Obedience, submission, act of reverence or respect. It's their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. And that closes with my prayer request for you. For me. Please, I beg you. Please, I beg you. Would you pray for me and my family? Would you pray for the staff and their families? Do you know Chris Begg's wife's name? Do you know Pastor Marty's wife's name? Do you know Tony Logan's wife's name? If you don't, get to know it because you can't pray for people you don't know. John and Katie Mink, 
Katie needs prayer for medical issues. I mean, we, we've got all kinds of prayer needs. Would you pray for the staff and their families? Would you pray for our local offices? You realize that the letter that I got from that knucklehead, I, we get all the time. And they put, their, they put their names forward and they get abused and it, it's public fodder. They, they treat civil servants like they, they treat their waitress when they're angry or their waiter. Would you pray for, for our local office, supervisor, city council, school board, and be kind and not caustic? Don't attack their character or their person. Just deal with issues. Be sweet. Say thank you. Would you pray for unity of the pastors in the Conejo? We're getting together for the National Day of Prayer. We've been praying fervently that God would unite our hearts in the realization that we have to engage this bean patch. I've been laboring in this bean field for a long time and I want them to be along with me. And then finally, would you pray for refreshment and provision for me and the vision God's given me? There's a lot of things I want to do. I don't have the ability to do it. And oftentimes when you see the vision, you see the starfish and you start to throw them back and you know you can throw more back if you just had what you needed to do it. I'm just waiting for grandpa to help me. And there's those days where you get tired. We strive together. And I have to tell you, I'm so blessed to be the pastor of this church. So blessed. Do you realize what God's done through this little fellowship? You pray for me. And what God's done is going to continue to do. Just keep lighting it up. Don't quit. Amen. Thank you. Some of you I don't know completely, but others I do. And I just want to tell you, even though I don't know you that well, I love you. I'm so thankful you're here. Let's pray. Thank you. Lord, we thank you for your word. Commands us to pray without ceasing. And in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Lord, I want to tell you right now, thank you for this fellowship. Thank you for my brothers and sisters who pray for me. Thank you, Lord, for the fervent, faithful prayers of the righteous that availeth and accomplish great things. And we've witnessed the miracle of what you've done through this little fellowship. And Lord, we want to throw the starfish back. We want to bring life to it. The Conejo Valley. Lord, for our bean patch. And Lord, you command us to pray for those in authority. Please, I beg you. And so, Lord, we intercede. And Lord, we we ask that you would establish this and bless this community. We pray for the peace of the city. For in its peace, we will have peace. Fruitfulness of our families. Lord, thank you. Give us a heart of prayer and dependence upon you that we worship you by prayer. Let us align by intercession with your will for this nation. Help us, God. Let us not be apathetic or lazy. We're all part of the family. Let us pull our weight even if we're at the back of the bobsled. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.